Welcome to Building Wealthy Habits, a Tricord Advisors radio program. You will recognize Randy from Retirement Unlimited, a program that has aired on our station for over 15 years. Each week on Building Wealthy Habits, your hosts discuss life's hard financial questions relating to retirement, business ownership, and losing a spouse. Randy Barkley, Jeremiah Lee, and Laura Lee are CFP certified financial planners at Tricord Advisors, and Jeremiah is a California licensed attorney. If you have a topic you would like them to discuss on the air or would like to connect with them about your situation, visit their website, tricordadvisors.com or give them a call at 951-684-7011. Now, let's join the conversation on Building Wealthy Habits. Welcome back to Building Wealthy Habits. Um, we're joining you today. My name is Laura Lee. This is Jeremiah Lee and I'm Randy Barkley. And today we want to talk about um, legal considerations um, that widows and survivors uh, should address. And so we've got a kind of a long list to go through, but let's go ahead and dive in. So yeah. where would you like to start? Yeah, this I think is a really passionate area for all of us. Yeah, mm-hmm. we know so many people who have lost somebody and what do you do? And often in that moment, there's huge emotions, um, there's concern, there, there's there's future questions. And so mm-hmm. specifically when we do with a, a widow, I, I think it's something that, that we love to do because it's, it's coming alongside someone in a really hard moment, giving them some peace and some comfort, but also giving them some good advice because there's a number of things that need to happen and we're able to do that. So this is, I think, a passion for all of us is dealing with folks who, and another piece is a lot of our clients have been a couple for years. You've had clients 20, 30 years, they've been a couple together and then one passes away and that survivor is now leaning on that long-term relationship. Well, it's interesting. Relationships have been established. I've had several clients that we've developed over the years that the spouse, in most cases, is the husband Mm -hmm. who's been very competent and capable of taking care of the affairs of of the household not terribly concerned about doing things well he's alive but he is concerned if something happens to him mm-hmm. what's going to happen to his wife and um, so they bring us into that relationship so that we have a good understanding of the household the economics the desires the wants the concerns yeah so that we can provide that advice and support to mm-hmm. the surviving spouse when it happens so yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we can jump right in I think the first thing people look at when when someone passes away of course is mourning the loss um, and we often, we talk to our clients, we advise them, you know, dive into this moment, engage with family, engage with us, mm-hmm. know that all the financial items will be okay and we'll, we'll deal with that. Um, but then it comes that the first kind of bucket of tasks are getting all of the uh, assets organized into the surviving spouse's name. Yeah. So that's a big piece. And depending on the size of the client's income and asset structure, there's different ways or different things that are more important than others. Um, yeah, I mean, it's obviously we're dealing with retirement accounts, but also the other assets, it just as right. just as it's like the home, like the residence mm-hmm. they live in, right? So, so what, when you start considering someone's estate after they've passed away, one of the first things that is regarded is property ownership or titling. And mm-hmm. hopefully in an ideal circumstance, all of this has been considered in advance of, of a death because the titling can is is critical right yeah. whether or not you're going to face probate whether or not the assets transfer in the way that the deceased person desired them yeah. to or the couple well, so let's talk about property title yeah well i just thought that yeah that's a great item so if someone just imagine there's a house there's one house that the, the couple is living in mm-hmm. and depending how they titled it when they bought it will make a big difference mm-hmm. so for example it's in the name of the husband who's passed away just use right. that as an example you know, only in his name you put mm-hmm. it in his name and he's passed away 
Well, that now, that asset is going to go through probate, and it's going to take a while to figure out. And if he had kids from a prior marriage, things like that, the spouse isn't going to get, likely, 100% of that house. She's going to own part of it with somebody else, which is not ideal for most people. Which, is, which yeah, is... It's probably not what the man who passed away wanted. wanted yeah, Let's just pause, too, and talk about probate. I know in previous episodes, Jeremiah's compared probate to waiting in line at the DMV. Now, I've actually been to the DMV recently, post-COVID. Their system is much more efficient. But, <laughs> but the illustration still applies that essentially probate is there are many difficulties going through probate. It can be an extremely lengthy process. It can be a very expensive process. The person that the court appoints to administrate or administer the probate process may not be who you desire it to be. It's a public process as well. Mm -hmm. So there's many sort of cons to walking through the probate process. So as a part of our planning process, the goal is to structure things in such a way that you can actually avoid the probate process. And between a husband and wife, that's usually what we're talking about here with survivors, is you're often not in that first situation. That's the worst one. It was in yeah. the, 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 the property was solely in the, the deceased spouse's name with no will, no trust. The next version you see, and this is probably the most common, is you see a husband and wife took the property as uh, joint tenants or as community property here in California. And so when one of them passes away, the other just walks right into owning the house. The survivor gets to keep it. And that's what most people think is going to happen. And if mm-hmm. that's how you took your property, that, that's generally what will happen for, for most folks. And between a husband and a, a wife or two spouses, that works fine. It's when you get to the next generation that you realize the real need for a trust. Mm-hmm. And so from so that's a, the, the worst is in one's name, joint tenancy is kind of the next and is most common. The third and what's very advisable is you actually have a trust already set up. Mm-hmm. You have a trust set up, the house is in the name of the trust. So whether one spouse passes away or even both spouses mm-hmm. pass away, what's gonna happen to that house and who's gonna get access to it is all spelled out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's much better, much smoother process. So can we back up just a second there? So if it was just titled in the name of the deceased person and you said it can automatically transfer in the state of California to the spouse, the surviving spouse, is there paperwork that's necessary to do that or is it literally just an automatic process? Yeah, so if, it, if, it's, if it's solely in the name of the surviving spouse or the solely name of the deceased spouse, it has to go through probate. That's going to happen. Okay. If it's joint tenancy, uh, there's really nothing that immediately has to be done. It's just by law, whoever is the survivor gets to have full ownership. Mm-hmm. But what you will file is called an affidavit of death. That okay. you would say there was two joint owners and one of them has passed away, so you file a death certificate with the county mm-hmm. and they'll update the title just to be in the, the okay. survivor's Thank name. you. I didn't want to chase any rabbits, but I know on previous episodes you mentioned too getting multiple copies of the death certificate. This would be one case scenario yep, you'll, where you you'll need, need that. One, yep, for every piece um, of property. But anyways, let's let's uh, move on from here. So after hopefully it. Uh, the residence is secured in a trust or the property is secured in a trust, but what are some other issues to consider about transfer of assets? Yeah, I think the next one is probably retirement accounts, and you yeah. can probably talk to that one. Yeah, I mean, retirement accounts are, are um, of course, is the beneficiary designation. Most people think, well, if I have a trust, for example, I'm going to title my retirement accounts to the trust, and we have to say, no, let's stop here. That's not what you want to do, mm-hmm. and we want to identify who the primary beneficiaries are. Now, there's primary beneficiaries and there's contingent beneficiaries. In some cases, the trust can be put in as kind of a catch-all in a contingent issue, but essentially, in most cases, you're going to name a person. Now, in one case, it obviously the primary case that there's a surviving spouse, you're going to name the surviving spouse. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, they have a different consideration than children and subsequent other beneficiaries. Mm-hmm. So, under the current laws right now, the surviving spouse just basically takes it on as theirs. 
So they can either keep the distribution the same as their deceased husband or wife, or they can take it into theirs and just have a whole new set. If there's a big difference in age, it may be better to, depending on what the cash flow needs are, is to put it in the uh, younger person's age and have a different distribution pattern. Because your required minimum distributions are based upon your life expectancy with the IRS. Anyway, not to get down into the weeds uh, too much, but you do not name typically the trust as a primary beneficiary. And it's and I've had this recommended from clients will come and say, well, my other attorney advised this, this other person they work, work with, well, you need to put this in the trust. No, that actually creates a problem because the trust, the distribution pattern right now under current laws is five years. Mm -hmm. So if you have the trust as the primary beneficiary, whereas if it is the spouse, it's under her life expectancy or his life expectancy. Great, great point. So essentially, it's more beneficial to the estate or the household if you name the surviving spouse versus the trust because they get preferential treatment in terms of distribution of the retirement assets Correct. of the deceased person. So they can yeah. actually continue to extend it over their lifetime. That's right. the most beneficial scenario. Let's talk about if you are um, an like a son or daughter mm -hmm. And you're listed as a contingent beneficiary, and you uh, inherit or receive the retirement plan. What are the distribution rules around? Well, again, it's that? the, the district. There's been a lot. Of, there's been a lot of conjecture on this. There's they changed the law here not too many not too many years ago. Mm -hmm. But the issue is, it's basically it becomes a ten-year distribution. But um, does that mean that you can wait until the tenth year and distribute all of it once, or do you have to take out one tenth each year, mm -hmm. or however you do it? And the law has come down to be interpreted that you can pretty much pick and choose how you want that distributed. But really, the caveat that I understand is that all of the money has to be distributed by the end of the 10th year. Mm -hmm. So, again, the clock doesn't start until the year following the, the, uh, the, the, the participant's date of death. Mm -hmm. So, um, it, and again, people have, have a lot of mis, you know, misunderstanding, but a lot of it is because the legislation was not clear. There was a lot of companies, custodians, you know, mm -hmm. we deal with Charles Schwab, TD Ameritrade, uh, Asset Mark, different companies. They were all trying to figure out, okay, how do we interpret this? Mm -hmm. And it's really come down to now is that the IRS will allow a 10-year distribution and there's different pattern mm -hmm. structures. So, and, so and these, are, these are so unique. I think it's really important for you know, whether you name your trust, how you take the distribution pattern. Like this is case-by-case um, -case basis that people yeah. get these things reviewed. Like, if you have a special needs child or a child that's yep. struggling with drug issues, you might do something differently than if your kids are very right. responsible. So, right. it, it, yeah, it takes it takes a, a specific analysis of your life to really figure right. out what, what's Right, because it could be the case scenario where the, the beneficiary or the contingent beneficiary wants to receive the full benefit within five years. However, structuring it so that the trust in that example is the beneficiary, you're forced mm. to take those funds out in five years. So if you simply name the surviving spouse and or a contingent beneficiary, you might have those, let's say, lengthier distribution rules. Mm -hmm. So you have the flexibility because you've got to think about taxes, extended planning for other uh, family Taxi, members. Tax is a big deal. And yeah. income tax considerations, most people, they ask the question, how, how is this tax? They how, Somehow they get in this in their head that there's going to be a different tax. I said, no, it's whatever your tax bracket is. Right. Again, going back to the trust, we have to be really careful because if the trust is the beneficiary, the trust has probably the most... Agree, egregious, egregious uh, mm -hmm. tax 
tax situation? Yeah, it's around twelve, fourteen thousand dollars or so that they hit the very highest tax bracket. Yeah, just horrible. Whereas a married couple, you can make almost four hundred thousand before you get to that highest tax bracket. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's not ideal to have income coming in and staying in a trust. So whenever that's structured, you want it to be flow through if you can. So speaking of taxes, mm -hmm. in the year that the individual has passed away, you actually do have to file taxes for them, and that's the final estate tax form as well, form 709, if I'm if I'm correct. Correct Remember. me if I'm wrong. <laughs> um, no, no, no. 706. 706. Yeah. Yeah. 709 is a charitable gift form. Yeah. So um, anyways, uh, so talk about that a little bit about the filing of the, the tax. Yeah. More complicated. Yeah. So yeah. when someone uses their, anyone who's alive uses their social security to file taxes. Mm -hmm. the social security number. And the date of their death, that social security number basically ends. Mm -hmm. And so now all those income reporting, all those things need to transition to something new, whether it becomes the spouse's social security or a trust, uh, taxpayer number, whatever it may be. So often for a married couple who already has a trust set up, who has everything kind of in place, it, it, it's uh, almost a, a non-item non that the individual passes away, all that new income flows into the spouse's social security number, and you file the tax returns appropriately. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's not a big issue. When uh, things aren't set up and you don't have a trust and one passes away, you have to work with a CPA to make sure you're filing the deceased um, individual's last tax return, mm -hmm. as well as transitioning everything over to the surviving spouse. And it's a process. And it's, it's not one that is overly difficult, but it's your first time going through it and you're grieving loss of a spouse. It's yeah. extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think just a, as a caveat here, we're talking about pretty vanilla case situations. Mm -hmm. But if there's a business interest oh, or yeah. there's, there's a substantial assets, this can get much more complex. And the more planning you do, the better the outcome. Mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes, when we get really complex situations like business ownership, you know, multiple real estate partnerships agreements, uh, C corps, S corps. I mean, all these become very, very complex. And the titling, the, how that transitions, what happens, um, yeah, it becomes very complex in that situation. Particularly if the surviving spouse is not involved in the business. Mm -hmm. like, what do you do? Yep. That was um, my first thought when you're making that comment. It really is just a, another reason to encourage, while both partners are still alive, mm -hmm. to be knowledgeable right. of uh, passwords, accounts, where the assets are held, what are the assets. You know, even just updating a, a balance sheet for your household on a somewhat somewhat regular basis could be quarterly, mm -hmm. could be even annually, depending on how many changes. Uh, happen in your life, you know, that can be really, really beneficial in a moment like this. Yeah, and what we do is we ask the questions that oftentimes the, the couple avoids. Sure. So the question is, what happens if? Yeah. And then we kind of take them through the lineage and we and not necessarily force them, but we have them focus on decisions that have that should be made now so it makes that decision process much easier in the time of the Questions right. that you don't have to ask later because right. you've already answered. Yeah, yep. I think it's a big comment of empowering both spouses. You know, both spouses need to have participation and responsibility in finances, even right. while both are living. <clears throat> and that very much sets them up for success of knowing, you know, like you said, what where their assets are, how they're functioning, knowing what the, the plan is. Because a lot of the clients mm -hmm. we worked with, they have a plan that's reaching out into their 90s and maybe even 100 years old. That, that we know exactly what we're expecting them to, to be able to achieve. Right. And if both spouses are engaged and know that, then once one passes away, there sh shouldn't have to be a, a giant shift. It's yeah. when one is not engaged in that plan and then realizes all of a sudden, I'm now responsible for all these finances and will they be enough and where am I headed with it? Who do we have to pay? What's owed where? Right. What do we do with the business? I mean, those are some really, they, they can add a lot more stress to the situation than is needed yeah. um, if, you, if, if you have a plan in place. So. 
Well, let's, uh, we talked about some transitions um, regarding assets after the death of someone, but let's talk about like some, some updates that need to be made yeah. uh, within the household. Yeah, so after things have all transitioned to the surviving spouse, that surviving spouse often um, it needs to revision where they want to head and you know, do I still want to move to Montana? <laughs> that was our life dream. Do I still yeah. want to do this? So there's an emotional aspect of it. There's also some really practical steps of um, sometimes in estate planning, it will, the way it's written, it will divide the estate in two pieces. Mm-hmm. And so now they have two trusts that they have right. to manage. Others will just provide it all into one trust and that, that, that spouse, the surviving spouse manages it. But that spouse needs to look at you know, wills and trusts and beneficiary designations on all their assets that they now uh, consolidated themselves and say, mm-hmm. how do I now get these to the next generation? Because no longer a question of which spouse is going to die first. Mm-hmm. Now they know that their spouse has passed away, so their assets need to provide for themselves. So that, that, there's a number of updates that are appropriate. And the, the biggest one I find is after you grieve, after someone takes time, maybe even a full year, they then have to kind of reimagine their life mm-hmm. and reimagine their future with, without that spouse. And for some people, that, that's, that's very hard to do. Mm-hmm. Others, you know, they, they kind of have a few thoughts. But um, we can talk through some of the, the ones you update, but, but it's a moment. It's a key right. moment of revisioning mm-hmm. their future. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the, the side comment that I would make is when we when we have somebody come into our office, oftentimes it's the widow. It's not always the woman that remains. It can be the man. But mm-hmm. our first comment is that you don't have to do anything right away. You know, if they've been a client of ours for quite a while, things are pretty well set up. Mm-hmm. And but they they have a tendency to want to do things. I'm saying you don't have to do anything right now. Yeah, we'll take care of this. We'll, we'll over the next several months we'll be gathering information and facts and documents. It will help you through the process, but oftentimes people have they feel like they need to do something. Yeah. Well, what they need to be doing is preparing, you know, preparing for the end. I mean, preparing for what's going on in their life and dealing with the grief and the, yeah. you know, the final aspects of, of dealing with their deceased spouse. Mm. And and I think what we can do for a lot of our clients is just give them that assurance it's going to be okay. And arguably, that could be actually the worst time to make major oh decisions my gosh, yes. because you know if all of us were in those moments of emergency or some major shift in our life, doesn't have to be death, you know, if we were to all make major decisions in that moment, like that would not be the wisest decision. I know, at least not for me. And so I think that's the counsel that we can offer to all our listeners, that it's actually, even if you do feel like you, you know what decision needs to be made, just waiting, you know, giving yourself some time and some space because life is going to look a little bit different um, going forward. And so those, Answers, anyways, they may shift too. Okay, so, of course. And yeah. one that uh, in this moment, you know, that we talk about that this one's now passed away. Often, life insurance when two spouses are living is not your favorite topic, right? And that's one that we we bring up and say, well, about life insurance, it's this much, it's expensive, it's good right. coverage. Right. But we've had two, if not more, widows in, in recent times that that uh, the husbands passed away and they had meaningful life insurance policies. Right. And it took all the stress about what's going to happen with the business, who's going to take over mm-hmm. ownership, all that stress and just deflated that balloon, took all the stress yeah. away because there's this infusion of cash in the household that they could float the business payroll for a number of months. They have the ability to buy out a partner. They had ability to mm-hmm. pay for their future and, and not worry about um, you know, pinching the pennies in the midst of this. Mm-hmm. And it, it really made a huge difference in those two situations I'm thinking of. It just added a lot yeah, of we've risk. Had, we've had more than two, but I mean, again, the thing that most people don't recognize at the moment is life insurance has preferential treatment. So the proceeds from a life insurance policy is tax-free in most cases. Now, income tax-free. Right. Yep. And they're thinking, do I have to pay taxes on this? No. 
Now, again, I'm not going to get into estate taxes and such as that. But that's right. a very large number. But for the vast majority of people, it, it's a it's an infusion of tax-free money. And essentially, it's because you put after-tax dollars into paying the premium over a certain amount of time. There's obviously lots of different ways that life insurance can be structured. And we do hear from clients, particularly those that are younger, saying, do I have to keep paying this premium? I'm paying X amount mm -hmm. in life insurance every month. And now you want to evaluate the policy and make sure that it's, it's right and that you're not overpaying or you don't have too much coverage. But when you find that evaluation of a policy that's right for your life, then paying those premiums is 100% worth it. Because like you said, in that moment, basically you get a tax-free infusion of money that can really help float your, your daily life or the household expenses and or the business expenses. Yeah. And so, Without having to make hard choices, it. right? Yeah. yeah. If a client had all their assets tied in real estate, Man, it, it's going to take some time to get that money back out. Yeah. Whereas if they have some some life insurance, it's real easy. Yeah, and I, and I think the, t the, t the type of policy, whether it be term policy or whole life or adjustable life or whatever it is, involved, there, yeah. there is there is need for all of those particular products. And but what we try to do is come up with the most efficient and cost effective way mm -hmm. for that client to. So we have no skin in the game when it comes. We help our clients select what is best for them. Yeah. And. Um, you know, we're fiduciaries. So yeah. right now what we do is we look out and say, what's the best contract for you? Right. And so we're not tied to any one company or any one particular process or procedure. Right. The, pro the, problem, the problem that I've found is that life insurance, if your primary profession is life insurance, nothing wrong with you, but everything, every problem looks like that life insurance is going to be. In other words, the nail mm -hmm. is the problem and life insurance is the hammer. Mm -hmm. And I have difficulty trying to come up with a solution that's universal and we always use life insurance to solve that problem. Mm -hmm. It's not. Mm -hmm. Life insurance has a place, but it's not the it's not the universal cure-all for problems. Right, right. Financial. There's lots of different ways to look any right. not, not just life insurance, but just insurance in general. Right. You, know, to, you have to take into evaluation the entire plan where all the assets are held. We talk a lot about long-term care insurance and and you know, do you own property and how that can be helpful there. So there's a lot of different strategy involved. So I like your, your point in saying, um, especially to our listeners, if you're confused by all the various life insurance options there are out there, you are not alone. Mm -hmm. There is so much complexity to the industry. So as planners, we like to look at what the needs are and then trying to find the right um, available tools and policies to really meet what's, that What's the most cost-effective process to get into what we need to do for that, mm -hmm. for that yeah. particular so client? So you're not overpaying for the benefit right. that you might receive. So yeah, we're right. coming close to the end of our time. Is there anything left that you feel like we haven't said that would be really helpful? Yeah, I think just an overall comment that if, if you or someone you know is going through the loss of a loved one, a spouse mm -hmm. specifically, um, it's, it's a unique moment. And give yourself the grace to acknowledge this is a hard moment. And you, you need some help, you know, whether it's yeah. a CPA, whether it's a financial advisor, whether it's an attorney, but it, it, it's an appropriate moment in your life to bring on those people um, that can help guide you through. So I said, if you are going through this or you know someone that, that is, like, it's, it's really important to get them someone who can be in their corner um, and get them to the next season of their life successfully, you know, that they're able yeah. to thrive and not um, really struggle through that, that season. And I think if you found yourself in this position in life as a surviving spouse and you don't have a relationship with a planner ahead of time, we don't want you to feel or infer that it's too late. Um, you know, at our firm, we, we would love to help. Um, and so it's obviously ideal to have some of these things set in place ahead of time, but sometimes that, that's just not the case scenario. And so our heart, like you said at the very beginning, we're really passionate about sitting down and, and and equipping someone for their future, even mm -hmm. if it's not a future that they expected. Um, That's right. So. 
So you've heard a lot about this, and if this is be of something of value to you, we ask you to reach out to us. We have a website as well as an email. Our phone number is 951-684-7011. So folks, that about wraps up our time for this week. If you have any questions that you would like answered on the podcast, please email us at contact at tricordadvisors.com. You can also watch or listen to this um, on our website, tricordadvisors.com. Um, here at Tricord Advisors, we are your future's best ally. So until next time, may you grow in wisdom and knowledge. Thank you for listening. Information and ideas discussed on this program are in the nature of general comment and cannot be relied upon as pertaining to your specific situation. Do not constitute legal or financial advice and do not create an attorney-client or fiduciary relationship. Any examples or circumstances discussed are fictional. Listeners should consult their own financial advisor, tax consultant, or attorney, as well as conduct their own due diligence prior to making any decisions. Investments involve risk and the possibility of loss, including the loss of principal. All situations are different and results may vary. Randy Barkley is a California life insurance agent California license number 0518567. And Jeremiah Lee is a California licensed attorney and is responsible for this communication. Advisory services offered through Tricord Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisory firm.